All right, everybody. It is Tuesday, December 13th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And depending on the day, a little bit of singing, Jill. We'll see <laughs> if the uh, on this day gets you there. We do try to read all the news here and read between the lines so you don't have to. All right, let's get to the headline. Sam Bankman-Fried, a.k.a. SBF, has been arrested in the Bahamas after the U.S. files criminal charges against him. The last second push to create a 9-11-style independent COVID commission to investigate the U.S.'s pandemic response. RIP AM radio, why your AM stations may soon go the way of ashtrays and manual crank windows in your car. South Korea is making everyone in that country a year younger. Literally, we'll tell you what's behind that. And spoiler alert, we'll end with our thoughts on the season finale of White Lotus and Mosh briefly back to South Korea. Um, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's incredible is not only the headline that South Korea is making people a year younger, but why, and in many cases, why in South Korea until uh, as of today, you might have three different ages. No, Moshe, that is one of my favorite stories of the day, actually, um, the South Korea story. Mine too. Rest assured, we'll tell you about that. And then we are saving all the spoilers for White Lotus till the end of the podcast. You will get all your news and then we'll go with spoiler alerts. Okay, let's start, though, with some breaking news from overnight. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested by Bahamian authorities after the U.S. filed criminal charges against him. And this sets the stage for SBF, as he's known, to be extradited to the United States and stand trial. The federal government is expected to unseal the indictment this morning. We have been talking about Sam Bankman-Fried quite a bit here on the podcast. For a refresher, though, he was the one-time billionaire CEO of the crypto exchange FTX. And then in November, FTX and its affiliates filed for bankruptcy and Bankman-Fried forced to step down. The crypto trading firm imploded in spectacular fashion following a run on assets similar to a bank run. And talk about timing. Bankman-Fried was actually expected to testify before the House Financial Services Committee today. His arrest is the first concrete move by regulators to hold individuals accountable for the multi-billion dollar implosion of FTX. Yeah, so we got a, a statement late on Monday from both the Bahamian authorities and, as you stated, the Southern District of New York. Uh, the Bahamian Prime Minister, Philip Davis, uh, said late Monday, the Bahamas and the United States have a shared interest in holding accountable all individuals associated with FTX who may have betrayed the public trust and broken the law. Uh, effectively, what he's saying is the U.S. is pursuing criminal charges. Uh, Bahamas will cooperate a reminder here that there is an extradition treaty. So, uh, you know, people could be arrested in the Bahamas and be sent to the U.S. There's been a lot of cooperation through the years between the two countries. And this really is remarkable, Jill, because it was just November 11th that FTX filed for bankruptcy. So we're really only talking literally about a month here. But clearly the authorities in the U.S. moved quick. They found enough uh, to indict him. We are going to learn a lot later uh, today when they unseal the indictment as to the details here. But... In broad strokes, what we have known is that he effectively used uh, FTX, a massive, at one time, $32 billion company, as his piggy bank. He had a separate uh, investment firm, a hedge fund called Alameda Research, where he was commingling assets. He was using client funds from FTX, 
over at Alameda Research to do margin trading, which exposed them to massive losses. Uh, legal experts telling CNBC Monday night that if the federal government pursues wire or bank fraud charges, which is likely, Bankman Freed could be facing life in prison here without the possibility of supervised release. A severe punishment for this sort of thing would be unusual, but not extraordinary. A reminder that Bernie Madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison for his massive Ponzi scheme. Uh, and a reminder, Jill, that there have been huge domino effect in just the past four weeks from FTX here, uh, other companies that effectively had to file for bankruptcy or are near bankruptcy due to this issue. Look, the person who was brought in to oversee FTX, um, John Ray, he has said, and he he cleaned up the whole Enron mess. He said this, what happened here with FTX, worse than what happened with Enron. Uh, we just saw Elizabeth Holmes. She could spend a decade behind bars. I mean, look, it's you're comparing, I guess, you know, financial crime to financial crime. But Sam Bankman Freed, I mean, literally people in, in many cases lost their life savings. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago when Bankman Freed did his interview with uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin, uh, Sorkin began the interview by reading a letter from an individual who lost $2 million with Bankman Freed. Uh, and Bankman Freed was like, you know, listen, this th this stuff happens. Uh, he was apologetic. But again, there have to be ramifications here for this sort of thing. Uh, otherwise, other people will pursue it. And so, uh, again, we're going to learn a lot from this indictment uh, later today from the Southern District of New York. Uh, this is a serious operation at the Southern District of New York. They handle a lot of these types of crimes. Uh, but it was interesting how blasé, to a certain extent, Bankman Freed seemed about this. He was saying in recent days about starting a new company, saying that, you know, he was going to investigate what happened here. Uh, clearly, the authorities in the U.S. have determined, no, 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 Bankman Freed, we don't need you to investigate this. We're investigating you. And clearly, uh, you're going to be hearing a lot more uh, details in the coming days and weeks. OK, now let's get to the renewed push for a national commission to investigate the U.S. response to COVID. There are a growing number of legislators on Capitol Hill who are looking to create an independent panel similar to the 9-11 commission from a few years back. Legislation to create that new commission is stalled on Capitol Hill, despite a 20 to 2 vote in favor of the measure by the Senate Health Committee and that was back in the spring. So backers say their last hope for passage is to tack it onto an upcoming spending bill, the final major must-pass piece of legislation of the current Congress. There has been no vocal opposition to the bill, but it's been in limbo since March, essentially on the back burner for more than six months. And there's no companion measure in the U.S. House where Republicans are planning their own pandemic-related investigations once they take control of the chamber next month. The idea for a commission has been talked about for nearly two years, backed by members of Congress, advocacy groups representing those who lost friends and family, and also the former executive director of the 9-11 Commission. Yeah, Jill, you know, I haven't heard much about this. And now in these final weeks of the current Congress, it is getting some attention. This commission would be part of a sprawling bill called the Prevent Pandemics Act, uh, among other things, the measure would also make the director of the CDC a Senate-confirmed position. Right now, they can just appoint that person. They don't need a Senate vote on it. So they're effectively trying to learn some of the lessons, some of the mistakes of the past couple of years here. And the thought is that a independent commission could really look at what took place uh, in the lead up to the pandemic, how the U.S. responded, how to increase coordination among public health agencies, address supply chain deficiencies, basically all the things uh, that we dealt with over the course of the past couple of years. 
So far, President Biden has not taken a position on the bill. Uh, The hope, again, is to create a blueprint for confronting future pandemics. Uh, The independent panel, if it's similar to the 9-11 Commission, would have subpoena power, convene public hearings. You know, for those who aren't familiar, the 9-11 Commission really gave us a pathway forward after 9-11 attacks, uh, including the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, new immigration measures, uh, intelligence coordination, director of national intelligence, a whole bunch of stuff uh, would come out of that commission. And the idea is, given the crisis we've faced these past couple of years, what more could the U.S. have done? Why does the U.S. have a higher death rate from COVID than other wealthy nations, et cetera, et cetera? Moshe, I feel like even though it's only been a few years since that 9-11 commission, I feel like we are incapable of an independent commission to study anything. We're just so polarized. Well, that's the thing, too, right, is you remember a time after 9-11 where we were all united uh, coming out of those attacks. You could have easily, like, if you were to replicate today's times back in nine, after 9-11, there would have been immediate attacks on, you know, George W. Bush. Why did you let this happen? And then George W. Bush could have pointed at Bill Clinton being like, well, he was president in the lead up to bin Laden. Why didn't he get bin Laden? You can kind of think about an alternate scenario. But alas, we weren't that way back then. The last uh, time they've been talking about a commission like this was not so long ago, Jill, for January 6th. And the hope was that Democrats, Republicans would get together after January 6th and have a commission to look at why the insurrection happened the way it did. Well, of course, we live in different times now. That fell apart. That led to the January 6th commission that was effectively run by the Democrats the past year because Republicans didn't agree to an independent commission. So... uh, I wouldn't hold out too much hope here, but just given what we have gone through and that, you know, we expect more pandemics to occur with increasing frequency in the coming years, climate change, humans moving around, et cetera, we know we're going to face one of these again. We know we failed with aspects of our response. We know we learned a lot in terms of vaccine development uh, and air quality and all the things that we didn't know in March 2020 that we know now. So how do we formalize that and how do we ensure that the CDC and other agencies have tools So typically we would have done this by commission, Jill, uh, back not so long ago. When I was thinking about whether or not we are in a better position right now to tackle another pandemic, certainly everything that you just mentioned is true, right? There's things that we've learned. There's masks. I mean, four years ago, would you have ever imagined wearing a face mask to the supermarket? I mean, that that would have seemed unprecedented. Not At, n- not in the West, right? Just in, a- just in East Asia. So in that sense, I think that we're in a better place. Um, And and again, we have that blueprint for developing the vaccines really quickly. I think where we are in a worse place is with conspiracy theories, misinformation, disinformation, and just total distrust of an agency like the CDC. It used to be, I feel like, even in the beginning of the pandemic, where the public, whether you were a Republican, a Democrat, whatever you thought of President Trump, you probably trusted the CDC. You probably trusted the health department. Somewhere along the line, things got so political that now there's not even like a trustworthy body that people feel, okay, this is a non-political, just the facts, science-based organization that we can totally trust. And I'm the last person to, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. And I very much remember right when the pandemic started. Okay. And I remember, first of all, I remember so much misinformation coming from officials who really should have been telling us 
the truth. And if they didn't have information, they could have been telling us that too. Granted, the, the information that we were getting from China was, we now know, not accurate in terms of how the virus spread, etc. cetera. Uh, but I remember a friend of mine had posted on Instagram or social media or something like in March of 2020, where do we really think this virus came from? Okay. And, mm-hmm. I, and I remember thinking the wet market, right? Like that was just the conventional wisdom. Go right. back to March, 2020. That was what everybody thought. That was the word from officials. And it turns out three years later, we don't know. And it yeah. it's a pretty, there's a pretty good chance actually that it didn't come from there, that it may have come from the Wuhan lab. We don't really know. And we've probably, unfortunately, we may have lost our chance to really ever find out. Um, but I don't know. I think that's the shame of it is like the facts, the the science, all that stuff that would have been that should just stand on its own is now so muddled in politics. And and you would hope an independent commission could help get to the bottom of that. You get all the leading health experts to talk about that and also the distrust in the CDC and how they rebuild that or whether you need another agency or a communications agency. Um, how do you take it away from the politics to ensure that there's an apolitical way to get information? You know, there was the film on um, Netflix recently, Don't Look Up, that sort of mocked uh, how we would respond to a meteor headed towards Earth. Uh, and scary, and I mean, it was a comedy, but it's sort of built off of what we saw unfold with COVID these past couple of years, how even a meteor headed or an asteroid headed towards Earth uh, could get politicized in the final days of our existence, depending on on what you believe. And so we do need to get to a place, we don't know what the next thing is going to be, but we know there will be a next thing where we can trust officials. Um, And so a commission would do that. Right now, the Senate, Schumer, has to take it up for a vote on the Senate side, and then the House would need to do that in the coming weeks. Uh, You hold out less hope in the next Congress where Republicans control the House, Democrats control the Senate, Uh, It might be more difficult to get something through starting in January 3rd. Okay, we have a lot more news to get to, including today's speed read. But I want to thank our sponsors this week, beginning with Bull & Branch, the betting and sheet brand. They are extending their special holiday deal for all Mo News listeners. Bull & Branch took notice last month of the discussion we were having on Instagram about top sheets, duvets. And they are now offering all Mo News listeners 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code MONEWS. My wife, Alex, and I recently got a full set of their sheets. Uh, with each wash, they keep getting softer. I think we got a white set, and we're now looking at the mist color. But if you're looking for a gift for yourself or a loved one this holiday season, a reminder that we spend a good portion of our lives in bed. So sheets are a big deal and important investment. And as you do your holiday shopping, this is an opportunity to give a better night's sleep to everyone on your shopping list with Bull & Branch sheets. Best of all, Bull & Branch, B-O-L-L and Branch, gives you a 30-night worry-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all orders. And when you order their signature sheets, they come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box. Again, the deal is 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch, bullandbranch.com, promo code MONEWS. There is one other great deal I want to tell all Mo News listeners about. It is a partner that I use literally every day. This one comes to us from Athletic Greens. Their AG1 all-in-one vitamin is a must as you try to get through this cold and flu season and beyond. 
I've been using Athletic Greens AG1 powder for a couple months now. It is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. The experience is simple, affordable, and I'm feeling an extra boost of energy, especially when I used to lag midday. Athletic Greens was created when the founder actually had a ton of gut health issues, ended up on a complicated supplement routine. It was very costly. And so as they say, the necessity is the mother of invention. And he created AG1 powder. It contains over 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics to support your gut health. And here is the best news. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving all Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News, M-O-N-E-W-S, to take advantage of this offer. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News for this special deal. I have it linked in the show notes. It'll help you start to really take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from the Weather Channel. A massive winter storm blew across the center of the U.S. Monday, threatening millions of people with heavy snow, freezing rain, and flooding. The National Weather Service warns there would be numerous widespread and impactful weather hazards in the heart of the country this week. People from Idaho to Wisconsin and down to Louisiana are being warned to be ready for blizzard-like conditions in the north and then flash flooding in the south. Today, Texas and North Louisiana could be pummeled by severe hail, winds, and tornadoes. The storm will continue southeast into Florida later in the week. Jill, this is the weather system that dumped nearly four feet of snow uh, in the uh, Sierra Nevada over the weekend. Some Mo News community members were sending me videos of just the massive amount of snow they got in the Tahoe area. Wind gusts topping 100 miles per hour. Again, four feet of snow in some areas. And this came as the Northeast, some of the Northeast in Massachusetts and New Hampshire saw up to 10 inches of snow over the weekend. But now this system, back to the bigger system here, that uh, dumped a whole bunch of snow in California, Nevada, now is in the Midwest, as you say, is going to be making its way east. Uh, They're literally... All 48 states will be experiencing some moisture this week, and uh, people should be warned in the Northeast that they might be facing blizzard-like conditions later this weekend. More snow on top of the snow they got from this weekend from this storm system as it makes its way across the entire country. From the AP, Iran on Monday executed a second known prisoner detained and convicted amid nationwide protests challenging the country's theocracy, airing footage on state television that it claimed shows him stabbing two security force members to death and then running away. The public hanging of Majid Reza Ranavard shows the speed at which Iran is now carrying out death sentences that have been handed down for those detained in the unrest. Activists warn that at least a dozen people already have been sentenced to death in closed-door hearings. Yeah, this was the concern as the uh, Iranians continue to try to stop the revolution that has been taking place there for nearly three months, uh, that they would be resorting to these sorts of measures. This is now the second death sentence, as you say, Jill, the first one in public. And it comes as the Iranian authorities have more than 18,000 people currently in prison from the protests. Activists say that uh, in the case of uh, Ranavard, that he was uh, forced to confess under torture. It was not a fair trial. Uh, And Amnesty International has said that Iranian authorities are seeking the death penalty for at least 21 people right now in these sham trials that are really designed to intimidate anyone who's participating in the popular uprising. 
And Iran has done this sort of public execution in the past within these executions done with a crane, though they have been rare in recent years. Back during the 2009 Green Movement, that was the last sort of revolution you saw in Iran, they did hang a number of protesters in the same manner. The U.S. State Department on Monday condemned Iran for this execution, saying it's meant to suppress dissent and called on Iran to stop. From The New York Times, in a future filled with electric cars, AM radio may be left behind. For nearly 100 years, drivers have been listening to AM radio, an American institution crackling with news, traffic, weather, sports, and an eclectic variety of other programs. But that dashboard staple could be going the way of manual crank windows and car ashtrays as electric vehicles continue to grow a market share. An increasing number of electric models have dropped AM radio in what broadcasters call a worrisome shift that could spell trouble for the stations and deprive drivers of a crucial source of news in emergencies. Car makers say that electric vehicles generate more electromagnetic interference than gas-powered cars, which can disrupt the reception of AM signals and cause static, noise, and high-frequency hum. FM signals apparently are more resistant to such interference. Yeah, there's apparently a debate here, Jill, because some electric cars, I think Hyundai has kept AM, but you had Tesla, Audi, Porsche, Volvo, a lot of luxury brands here, uh, remove AM radio from the electric cars. Volkswagen has removed it from their electric SUV. Ford says that the 2023 F-150 Lightning, its popular electric pickup truck, would also drop AM radio. About 47 million Americans still listen to AM radio, so about 20% of the radio listening public Uh, The majority of AM listeners, not surprisingly, tend to be older. About a third are over the age of 65. Uh, The amount of time they spend listening to AM has increased slightly over the last five years to just two hours a day, which is an interesting number from Nielsen. But there is pushback here in a letter to 20 car manufacturers published last week. The uh, U.S. Senator from Massachusetts, Ed Markey, requested that they all keep AM radio and electric vehicles, again, describing it as an issue of public safety, that this is how you might find out there's a tornado alert, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, Jill, you know, I feel like there's a generational divide here because, you know, growing up as an elder millennial in the 80s and 90s, AM radio, I mean, I remember that is where I got the hourly news in um, – in Chicago is WBBM News Radio 780. You get traffic and weather on the nine, sports at, you know, 25 and 45. It was sort of a major part of, you know, driving. I always think about 1010 wins. It's you give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world. And I guess if you're of a certain age, that means something to you. And if you're not, you're probably like, what are you talking about? Right, right. 1010 Winds is the radio station of New York City, right? And the New York and the tri-state area. The 1010 Winds is where you got it. In Chicago is WBBM. MAQ had one there. But everyone of a certain age will remember the AM news station that they turned to when, you know, uh, there was traffic, uh, there were weather issues, or you just want to know what was going on in the world. There was a really funny quote, or not funny, but I just thought poignant quote in um, the New York Times article from the owner of a of a AM station in Wisconsin, and he said, "If you can make a vehicle drive by itself, you can make a decent radio receiver." <laughs> so it does seem like this is a, a challenge that these car makers could probably figure out if they had any interest in doing so. 
Oh, a thousand percent, right? If you can figure out these electric cars, all this technology, like why can't you get AM radio to work? Why is that so complicated? But this really speaks to a, tech, a technology divide too, Jill, because like of a certain age, if you're technologically savvy, you might be able to go to Twitter to get your breaking news, right? Find out what's going on. I certainly do that when I'm stuck in traffic, uh, if I'm not driving. At the same time, you know, we haven't replicated the kind of 24-hour stream of AM radio yet via podcasts, et cetera. And until we do so, uh, car manufacturers will have to figure out a way to keep it around. Okay, speaking of age, now to a story from NPR. South Koreans are getting a year younger, according to Parliament. South Koreans will soon become a year or two younger following an official change to the country's age-counting system. Late last week, the country's parliament passed a set of bills requiring the use of the international age counting system where age is based on birth date. South Korea currently uses three different age counting systems, but most citizens abide by the Korean age where a person is one year old as soon as they're born and then they gain one year on every New Year's Day. Add this to the confusion. Right now, a baby born on December 31st would be considered two years old the next day. So that is Korean age. And then you have a second age when determining one's eligibility to drink, smoke, or serve in the military, for example, they simply subtract their birth year from the current year. And then for most legal and official purposes, they do follow the rest of the world. People start from zero when they're born and add a year on every birthday, the way that we do it here in the United States. While a majority of South Koreans go by the Korean age, most seem to support this move to the more widely used system where a person is zero on the day that they are born and then again gain a year every birthday. The change will go into effect this coming June. I mean, most mind blown that this that this is the system. <laughs> I, I, I never thought as we scripted a podcast episode, I'd have to explain how a birthday worked, right? Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're zero the day you're born. And then you gain a year on every birthday. I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's how we do it. Three different systems. I can't even imagine how confusing this has been for decades for people in Korea. Um, and sort of the mind blowing <laughs> stat was that if you're born on December 31st, a one day old baby in the US uh, would be two years old in Korea based on this system. So apparently the South Korean president came in and promised to unify the country's age counting systems earlier this year, saying that it had created unnecessary and social economic costs. Apparently it's led to Supreme Court fights, insurance issues, medical issues about what ages people should be when they take drugs, because again, they have this unique system. So once the bill is signed into law, the government would follow this international approach uh, babies under a year old will have their age counted in months, as again, we do here in the US. And so while most East Asian countries have scrapped traditional age counting systems, Korea has not until now. And apparently in China, a person is considered one year old on the day they are born, and then they gain a year on the Lunar New Year. So I this really opened my mind to the fact that I took for granted that we all counted age the same way, and apparently we don't. Mosh, I've been saying it for a while. Age is just a number. <laughs> and in this case, three numbers. <laughs> okay, Mosh, the other story that we've all been waiting for, this one from Us Weekly, Mike White's anthology series, The White Lotus, has officially been renewed for a third season. The comedy drama's first season, which premiered in July of 2021 on HBO Max, was set at the fictional White Lotus Hotel chain's Hawaii location, the second season, which just wrapped, took place in Sicily. 
As for season three, although the locale is not yet confirmed, White already has some ideas. Apparently, he told Deadline in October, quote, I think it'd be fun to maybe go to a whole different continent. You know, we did Europe and maybe Asia, something crazy like that. He said it will likely focus on, quote, death and Eastern religion and spirituality. It is possible that the next White Lotus chapter could focus on politicians and business moguls. That is an idea that White had for season two, but ultimately didn't end up using. And the shows do have a quick turnaround, so we could potentially see season three by 2023, maybe by fall of next year. All right. So we haven't done any spoilers yet, for those of you who haven't watched it, but uh, you might want to stop listening now if uh, you don't if you haven't finished season two. All right, Jill, let's get to our thoughts on the finale. I'd love to know your perspective uh, on this. You texted me earlier, like Moshe, we got to talk about White Lotus on the podcast. You know what, Moshe? It's not like you and I have any special perspective on this show. I just feel like everybody is talking about it, um, and I I don't know if it's because the show came out one episode a week, kind of old school, where it wasn't like where Netflix puts the whole season out at once. But I I did feel, unlike, again, most other shows, like there was this weird kind of camaraderie that you don't get very often, where a lot of people really watch this finale at 9 p.m. on Sunday. So, Bosch, what did you think about the ending? So, I don't know where people stand here. I do like the twist and and the illusions, you know, like clearly um, they tried to make clear what was about to happen. You know, we saw the death of Madame Butterfly when uh, McQuad attends the um, opera, right? And they kept showing these paintings around the house she was staying at of like arrows pointing to a woman. Uh, you know, the, clearly they were alluding that, you know, she was going to die. I do enjoy the twist though, uh, that, you know, she was able to, like, basically uh, preempt her killing, and then they end up killing her where she, like, just hits her head on the boat. And it just felt very true to her character. So I was actually disappointed. I watched it with my husband, and we've... The both of us felt really disappointed in the ending because she killed all those guys, you know, she figured mm-hmm. out what was going on, and it just felt anticlimactic for me. I, I I know that I get the twist and I feel like some people thought, yes, as you mentioned, very on the nose in terms of her character. But I don't know. I After all of that, I would have liked to have seen her survive. Yeah. I mean, like if you're thinking about like at least favorite characters, like a, like a Cameron dying or an Ethan dying, like one of those two dudes or both of them, like, and they, you know, you sort of were thinking it might happen when they were attempting to drown each other in the ocean earlier in the season finale. But, you know, like the people, I guess the producers of these types of shows always like to take some liberties and kill off a character that you may have actually liked. And she did have two good seasons with us at the two first White Lotuses. Okay, um, let's do like a very, very quick lightning round. Um, Okay, Okay. Mosh, favorite character? Oh, Tanya, number one. Okay, least favorite character? Uh, Cameron. You know, like, and I think they intended it that way. Though I have to say, I don't know. I think about Cameron or Ethan. I think Cameron had more layers to him. Ethan just was lame and sad. Maybe it's and Ethan. Boring, yes, least favorite. Right? And boring. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> did Harper and Cameron sleep together? So Harper and Cameron, this is, did they have enough time after leaving the hotel bar to sleep together in basically what Ethan thought happened? I think they did more than kiss. I don't know that they slept together, but the mystery remains after the season finale. <laughs> did Ethan and Daphne 
Because they went to the islands. They go to the island. She's giving the come hither look. And then we never quite know what happens. Our only... Our only evidence is that Ethan suddenly felt energized and like ready to go again with Harper that night. So I'm kind of thinking, yes, that he felt he got his revenge in and, you know, felt like he could do it again. Okay, Jill, now for your turn, your favorite character. I loved the grandpa, Bert. I just thought he was so funny. Bert DeGrasso, right? Yes, Bert DeGrasso. I kept thinking of him in his old Homeland role, if you remember him yes. on Homeland as the <laughs> as the director. So I was just trying to separate him, but F. Murray Abraham, I think, is the actor. He did it. He did an incredible job uh, playing that guy. Okay, your f- least favorite character. I really did not like um, Lucia, the prostitute, especially because at the end, I I felt so bad. I don't know why. I did feel so bad for Albie that he got played like that. I feel like Albie learned an important life lesson, which is never fall in love with a hooker. (laughs) Wise words, Moshe. Very good advice. All right. Did Harper and Cameron sleep together, Jill? I'm with you. I don't think that they did. And finally, what did Ethan and Daphne do on that island? I'm with you. I think something happened that gave um, Mr. Ethan a little pep in his step. Okay, that is it for our speed round and our White Lotus chat. Jill, before we go, a couple on this days for everyone on this December 13th, 2022. Uh, Your favorite, T. Swift, turns 33 years old today. It's her birthday. Happy birthday, Taylor Swift. It is incredible. Um, If you want to feel like a slacker, just think about all that she has accomplished in just 33 years. And uh, and and to our earlier story, she's would officially be if born in South Korea. She'd be 34 today until they change the rule and then she'd be 33 again. Um, in other birthday news, Dick Van Dyke, the legend, turns 97 years old today, Jill, which is pretty incredible. And then a couple pop culture headlines for you. On this day 26 years ago, Jerry Maguire premiered in theaters. I oh, love that movie. Wow. Show me the money. Show me the money. And then 45 years ago today, 1977, the Bee Gees released their single, Staying Alive. Apparently, the full album for the Saturday Night Fever movie had been released the previous month. Staying Alive wasn't actually their first single release, but after the trailer comes out, people like really glommed onto the song. So they released it as a single. The film would then come out the next day on December 14th. And as a personal thing here, my father was a new immigrant to America that year, apparently reportedly saw Saturday Night Fever in theaters. It helped him learn English. That's amazing. Did he see it more than once? Uh, uh, Apparently, he took multiple dates to see Saturday Night Fever. (laughs) Okay, Mosh, that was quite a podcast. Uh, We want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Make sure you follow us, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store. It helps us grow. And uh, don't forget, you could follow Mosh on Instagram. He gives the news all day long at Mosha, M-O-S-H-E-H. I'm exhausted just reading it, Mosh. Thanks for reading us out, Jill. We'll see everyone back here tomorrow. 